The Start On Demand. On demand. Milt Stiegel joined us today to tee up the Banjo Bowl and why it is such a big game. And as always, Stiegel scores the touchdown on the winning interview. We're also going to talk about what we love about fall, because many of us are lamenting the impending demise of summer. But hey, that's okay, because fall is cool. And we'll introduce you to internationally renowned comedian Sugar Sammy, who hails from Montreal. He's performed all over the planet, and he's in Winnipeg this weekend at Rumors Comedy Club. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Thursday, September 5th podcast for The Start. McGarry and McNabb, thank you for joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. Strange contrast in the weather. Yesterday turned out so gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I headed out to Bridges Golf Course. Manitoba Trucking Association had a VM, their VMC golf tournament. I went out with some of our great sales team from here at 680 CJOB, Power 97, Peggy at 99.1, and Global Winnipeg. And it was spectacular. Uh, because the day before was garbage. Mm-hmm. You lucked out. I did. And then I wake up this morning and I look at the, I pull up my weather app and it says it's raining outside. And now it's kind of kind of gloomy. So I think at 645, it behooves us to have a conversation Ooh. about what we like about the fall, right? Because a lot of people are, you know, we're sad. Summer's going away. But hey, fall is maybe... My favorite time of the it year. It is my favorite time of year, but only when I've accepted that I'm ready for it to be fall. So until that moment where I'm like, oh, I like, I'm now ready for this kind of cozier coat and, you know, maybe a nice walk and certain kinds of foods that you like to eat. And until then, I don't know if I'm there yet. I uh, confessed to washing my car yesterday, so the rain overnight is my fault. Oh, you're... <laughs> Apologize. Does this happen every time? Not every time, but it happens often enough that I feel compelled to apologize when it does happen. I hadn't washed my car probably for a week before it went away, so which means it's been dirty for about three weeks. And yesterday, I just had to do it. And we read the weather here four times a day. Do you think I remembered that there was... Showers in the forecast. <laughs> That's for the funniest thing. That when I used to read the what, the news on the weekend, I would read the forecast like ten to twelve times <laughs> over a six hour period. Right, and, and then I go nothing? home, and I go home, and and someone would say, "Hey, what's the forecast for tomorrow?" Um, I'll have to look tell it you. up. I can't uh, tell you. No idea. I think I've shared this, but I used to sit next to Mike Conkin, Global's weather specialist, uh, when I anchored the news. And he, one time right before Christmas, was talking about how it would be a white one. So don't worry, kids. Santa will be able to land his sleigh on a snowy roof. And then he throws it back to me. And I said, so what's going to happen? Like, are we going to get some snow this Christmas? <laughs> and he's like, I just, he just calls me out. I just spoke for about two and a half minutes about the snow, Loren. And I was like, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, like just because it was the time that you could 
you know, when, same when you guys do the weather. It's my time to shift and think about sure. what's coming next. So it's not disrespect to what's being said or the importance of what's being said. That's your break. Sure. You think, okay, well, next segment, I'll have to get this ready or whatever's happening. And, oh, he... Loren. Well, it's I not, just talked about that. And it's not like we write the weather forecast. It's just plugged in. We read it for you. We present it to you. Doesn't necessarily mean... Six. I write my weather forecast. You do not. <laughs> how, how prepared are you to go to protect a, a, a lie? <laughs> Donald Trump, did you see this yesterday? Oh. This, uh, this official weather map that had been altered with... A, looks to be altered... That's not a criminal case, although it could be. It's against the law to alter and to present a false weather report. But I digress. You have to, if you've not seen it, go on the internet. You have to see this map, video of this map that showed the cone of uncertainty for uh, Hurricane Dorian earlier in the week. Donald Trump had tweeted, by mistake, people make mistakes. Sure. Okay, and he... For all intents and purposes, you have to believe he accidentally added Alabama as one of the states that could be affected by Dorian. National Weather Service was saying nothing of the sort. They said Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina mentioned nothing about Alabama to the point. Someone in the Birmingham, Alabama National Weather 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 Service Center tweeted out, Alabama is not at risk with regard to and so yesterday, Hurricane Dorian. He, <laughs> yesterday, he, he, Trump had a press conference. Go ahead. No, he pulled out a map yes. and showed a hurricane forecast that included Why? Alabama. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. <laughs> there was a black Sharpie that, that tr- Mark, that tried to I, extend. What was apparently doctored <laughs> that kind of showed the cone heading but towards. So... Anyway, he since tweeted out like, "Look, I once I got original. I, the original forecast Come had on. Alabama in it, but you know it's it's easy to poke fun. But if you're sitting there in Alabama, who who are you supposed to listen to? Your president, ultimately, I suppose. But uh, and it just goes to show how far some people will go to cover up e- even just a slight misstep. I had a back and forth with one of our listeners yesterday. Tristan Field Jones did that story about the the NDP election sign showing up on, on a on a chain link fence without permission. One of our listeners said, "Why is this news?" I said, "Well, breaking an election law is sort of news." And the guy said, it's not against the law. You just said so. I went up to the newsroom. How many times was it on yesterday? Eight times while we were on our show? Mm-hmm. I went to Tristan. He goes, oh, no, it's not against the election law. I had just. That's why that story was interesting, though. Oh, really? Someone it's can come onto my property and put a sign up? Like right. I, You know, like, so any business? Is that is that the rule? Is it just election signs? Can any business just put up a, like, uh, McDonald's is the best sign, and next thing you know, I'm that's on your no. lawn? or? But, but that's the extension of it. Correct, correct. Anyway, the point I was trying to make was I apologize profusely to this listener because that was what was going on in my head was that we were talking about this thing, how this this law had been violated. But clearly, I had misinterpreted because my mind immediately went to the idea that this of course, is illegal, even though we'd been sharing with you that it wasn't breaking any rules at all. We've also talked a lot this week about the impact meth is having on crime in our city, about the challenges it's posing to police and the difficulty frontline workers are having in finding the right places for people struggling with addictions to drugs like meth to go. 
What we want to share with you this morning is perhaps the most important part of the conversation, and it's about why you should care about how this could deeply impact you. Six months ago this week, a Winnipeg mom and dad walked out the door of their West End home for a night out with friends, certain that their 17-year-old son staying behind would be just fine. He was with his grandma, after all, and the only thing on Jamie Adow's schedule that night was some homework. But then two men allegedly broke into their home and started attacking Jamie. Police later said they believed that home invasion was fueled by meth, a scenario Jamie's mom, Imelda, never imagined. Here's what she had to say about that night and the moments after she said goodbye to her son. I think that's the worst, the worst time in our life. We get devastated because we thought that our family was safe inside our house. So when we left our house to, to attend some Filipino event, we thought that my son was there studying very safely with my mom. But then in the middle of the night, we received a certain call. And I refused to answer it because it was a private call. So on the third time, I think it's the third time that keeps on calling, my husband says, could you please answer it? Maybe it's important, he says. There is a certain police officer who called me saying that, where are you right now? So I said, we are at our friend's house. We are at our friend's house. And said, we need to meet you personally. I said, why? I said, I cannot tell you on the phone. So we need to see you in person. But then something strikes in my heart. So mom and dad met the police at their store. They own a bakery. It's a business they had hoped Jamie would one day take over. They said that something's happened to our son. That there's an invader. And saying that my son is already gone. <laughs> it's like the world following us. If you can, try to imagine what that might be like, what that may have felt like. But of all the things you prepare your kids for, it's unlikely a conversation about a home invasion, a suspected meth-related home invasion, would take your child. That's why we moved here. We are thinking of a better future, not for us, but for our children. We work so hard because of them. And then at a glance, in just a minute... All is gone. You can hear throughout this interview uh, with Imelda the emotions that are churning through her mind, what they're feeling, what they want to see for the accused. All of those things change on a daily basis. But one thing Jamie's mom was clear on is that she hopes the punishment is strong. They're not scared anymore. They have a short sentence. And when they are in jail, they have good life. So what's the use? What's the point? They're not scared anymore on, on getting punished. She was asked in that interview with Global's Joe Scarpelli what would be an appropriate punishment. And she went on to say she will scream out in that court life, 
you know, life for life. She's not talking death in terms of a death penalty, obviously, but the, the most extreme punishment is what she's looking for. Her son was supposed to start college this fall. He was going to study culinary arts again to take over their family business. At his home, Imelda and her husband now surround themselves with pictures of Jamie telling Global News the only thing helping them is their faith. I keep on praying that, God, you're a miraculous God. I know this is impossible, but, you know, I keep on praying that I want him back in our life. But it's, you know, it's a reality that it will not happen anymore. That's Imelda Adao with Global's Joe Scarpelli. Uh, Joe also spoke to the Winnipeg Police Association and other members of the community about what they're looking for in this election. We will hear from Joe after 8 o'clock and after 7. What are provincial leaders saying? We heard from Brian Pallister yesterday on his party's plan to deal with meth, crime, and health care. After 7, it's Wab Canoe's turn, Lauren. For me, this story six months ago, I thought, if you weren't caring at all about this meth crisis, this is the one... This should have been this the turning is the, point. This is the one where you're at home and you're studying and you're 17 years old and you have every reason to expect safety inside your own home, which, by the way, had locked doors. And, I, it, you know, pictures of it show the fence in front and, and all the things they put in place to keep their child safe home with his grandmother. This is the story that should have you saying, what are we doing when somebody allegedly fueled by math, will break into your house and kill your child. Are we using the wrong word? We're getting criticized in some circles for using the terminology crisis. Do we need to turn that up a bit? Is this an emergency? That's a question I have. And Kelly Moore is here because he joins us every morning at 6.45 alongside Jeff Braun, Jeff Forte, because right now... We want to talk, we want to try to put a positive spin on the fact that summer is getting ready to go. We had a beautiful day yesterday, but the weather has been kind of lousy at times, gloomy this morning. But hey, fall is cool. We want to know what you love about fall. So, Kelly Moore, why don't we start with you? Sure. I, I tell you, my wife and I love uh, to garden, so fall is always the year where we, you know, we're kind of like the farmers. You know, we're Harvesting. <laughs> we're harvesting, yeah. We, uh, my Sorry, wife, so why haven't I seen any fruit Because you're not flavor? going to. You would just lose it anyway, McNabb. Not the tomatoes. <laughs> or forget it somewhere. Uh, but yeah, so that, and, and of course it is the absolute best time of the year for sports. You know, you've got the Canadian Football League in full bore. You've got the NFL starting up. The baseball playoffs aren't that far away. And neither is the start of hockey season. Mm-hmm. Don't forget about the NBA, Kelly. NBA, basketball. Oh, that's later on in the year. That's not till October. It starts like a week after the hockey, We're talking doesn't September it? here, man. <laughs> Playoff races are heating up in MLB. Lots of things. Yeah, oh, yeah I like no. it. Local NFL soccer, too, right? And soccer, yeah. yes. Okay. Uh, curling, tiddlywinks, chess. <laughs> Tennis. Golf. Tiddlywinks. And a chess. <laughs> Love it. You ever watched seen competitive chess, by the way, or like real guys go at it hard? Garden City, this is a complete sidetrack. Garden City used to have this like floor size uh, chess board in the oh, mall. right. And uh, with these like pieces that would come up to your waist. And I watched these two guys. They stood there for about five minutes and then one of them made a move. And then they just made this series of like 15 moves in 30 seconds. It was really neat. I don't know if they still have that. If they still have that thing at the mall, text me 204 
1968. Jeff Braun, what do you like about fall? Uh, it's better TV watching weather, and, I, and I'm not even joking. <laughs> you, don't, you feel less guilty? Wow. You, it's, you, you're cozier inside. You can make a nice cup of tea, and if you have a fireplace, set up a fire, and the sun goes down at a reasonable hour, so there's you don't get the glare on your TV, and you don't feel guilty for <laughs> missing glare. a nice evening outside. It's just great. It's beautiful. I, I'm kind of with Jeff on that in wow. terms of, uh, like, for whatever reason, in October, I often will just stay in on Friday nights and just hunker down and oh, sort yeah. of catch up my PVR, order a pizza maybe, and uh, I, I don't really care that I'm not doing anything. So yeah. I'm kind of with you there, Jeff. Yeah. But Tom texted us, and I'm with Tom on this, fall golf, as long as it's not like last September. Last September and October were terrible. Yeah. I think I played three or four rounds of golf and all in those two months. But yeah, I love going out uh, to play in the fall. It's just lovely when the leaves are turning, except it makes it harder to find your ball. No question. No question about that. It's hard enough, typically. So keep it on the fairway, then. Yeah. No, yeah. just hit it straight to the it. green like I do. You can lose it on the fairway <laughs> when the leaves are on the ground because, you know, the wind, they, the leaves don't fall straight down. So that's yeah. at least my story, and I'm going to stick to it. But it's easier it. to find it on the fairway. Then. It, it is easier, yes. You yeah. mentioned not feeling guilty about watching TV because of fall-like temperatures. I like not feeling guilty about what I eat because in the summer you feel like you should have barbecue and you know, have salads and be outside. And I, the other day, like threw a tortier in the oven and I'm like, me cooking <laughs> pasta. And it's like, it's still summer, which I recognize. It's technically not fall, but because it feels cooler, you're like, oh no, let's, let's, get, let's get into that winter type food. Winter type food. Yeah, things that, in the summer you should just be barbecuing and eating salads. Well, d- well Shane said duck and goose dinner. You've yeah. got the whole year, year to lose that weight. You can eat whatever you want right now. <laughs> <laughs> Fall suppers are on the horizon. Yeah, those are fantastic. If you get out into rural Manitoba, great way to celebrate fall. Robert says the best thing I love about fall is the smell in the air of fallen leaves and going for a crisp walk. That's what I was going to say. I love going for that walk, and you have that breeze on your face where you know it's cold in your face and you go inside and you feel nice and warm and it's you know thanksgiving's coming up halloween i love horror <laughs> movies yeah so that's, halloween and i like that the sun is starting to go down earlier oh my god oh, i stop. hate that yeah. hey, i love that i'm with you for jay yeah. i like it too i just want to ask for really quick with your love of candy do you still trick-or-treat I, I could. You I totally could. I got the body for it. I got the size. You do. You just shave a little bit, uh, I don't know, about 4 o'clock on Halloween and you'll be fine. Yeah. All right. I'm down. I'll, I'll walk around with you and pretend to be your dad. Can we hold hands? Sure. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I know that you that it's open during the summer, uh, but I always end up liking to go to Amazing Corn. I think they, they, when they come on this radio station too, they often say, you know, we wish that you, you would come out sooner because by the time I get there, the corn is all dead and it's kind of, it can be kind of creepy, but it, I don't know. It's sort of, it, I think I kind of like that it's dark and creepy and the tree, the leaves have fallen off the tree because they've got a tree right in the middle of the maze. And if the moon is out, uh, it's very Halloween-y. So yeah, good call for it yeah, Halloween, horror feeling. movies. I get the sense for a lot of people that fall is actually their favorite season, despite the fact that it is, you know, on the doorstep of winter. And would I be accurate in that? I know when I lived in the Oak Noggin, man, fall was the best because you finally got out of the high 30 temperatures yeah. and, you know, the green was yeah. starting to get a little bit of moisture and yeah, I, I don't know. I get the sense a lot of people like this time of year. No mosquitoes. A lot of people texting in saying mosquitoes are gone. The wasps yeah, are here. Replaced by wasps, yeah. It's yeah. invigorating. And I had said the other day that sometimes I feel like September is almost 
the new year. So you have this, you know, everything's getting back to its routine. Your kids might be going to school. You, st- you know, your summer hours are different maybe at work than your fall or your winter hours or vacation time is all put away. And so I think the weather, the temperature matches that like, re- you know, chilling, reinvigorating, a little bit of a shock the to The new it. show starts in. Gets you going. Oh, it's on <laughs> 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 yeah, TV. Like, can we bring this back to TV in my couch, please? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I um, cut my grass yesterday and I don't yeah, the neighbors it's, were asking when you were going to do no, that. No, they were not. It, it's emerald <laughs> green. It is yeah. so beautiful right now. And so I typically, it's like, really? I worked all summer. <laughs> I planted seed. I, you know, did this, that, and the other thing. And I'm going to be able to enjoy this for, what, about four weeks before the leaves start falling down on my beautiful But then when you're grass. raking the leaves, you'll just see all no. that beautiful green grass underneath the leaves. Kelly, not everybody likes raking leaves <laughs> like you do. The only problem is in my backyard, I don't know what is more green, my pool or my <laughs> lawn. Oh, oh, my. oh, my. Text us what you love about fall, 204-780-6868, as we get ready for summer to say goodbye. And one of our listeners texted as well, maybe you're still enjoying nice weather because it is still summer. Fall doesn't start until September 23rd. We know. Every party's got one. Yeah, winter starts December 23rd, too, on the calendar. It starts a lot earlier than than that that. in these parts. And right now, Loren McNabb, yesterday we heard from Brian Pallister. Today we're going to hear from Wab Canoe. Because Manitobans want to hear what they're saying on some of their top concerns, which have been repeatedly listed as health care, jobs and taxes, and of course, a startling rise in crime. We just heard in the last half hour some com- compelling and extremely emotional tape from the mother of Jamie Adow. Her son was killed by two men who were allegedly fueled by meth. And so we're asking some leaders some of the questions that they have about those key issues like hospitals and meth. Brian Pallister, of course, said he's for building short-term detox facilities against any suggestion of a safe consumption site. Well, this morning, we're bringing you some of the NDP's plan. Here's Wab Canoe. I was talking to our chief of police, And what he told me is, I'm not sure we need any more police officers. I was surprised. I'm as surprised as probably you are to hear that as well. But what he was saying is, and I've heard this from officers as well, is that right now we have police officers babysitting people who are high on meth for the entirety of their shift. That's why they can't respond to the call about the B&E. That's why they're slow to respond uh, to the smashed window call that they get, is because we have this addictions crisis that's not only causing crime directly, but it's also sucking resources away law enforcement resources from being able to deal with the other problems in our streets. So the chief difference between Pallister and I is not just that I will listen to the evidence on a harm reduction site, it's that I will act within the first 100 days. I won't wait until the eve of an election call to all of a sudden present ideas to respond to the meth crisis. And as a result, if we use harm reduction and detox and all these other techniques to get a handle on addictions, that'll free up the cop to not have to babysit the person high on meth anymore. They can drop that person off at a, at a safe facility, and then they can get back at what they do best. Healthcare is, of course, part of the meth and mental health equation as Manitoba undergoes a massive restructuring of our system. The NDP are promising to reverse some of those decisions. Three Winnipeg ERs have closed and converted to urgent care centres. A tough decision, Pallister says, had to be made. But if elected, Wab Canoe says they will reopen Concordia and Seven Oaks. Other than politics... 
that it's smart idea, good health care in the end, to reopen those ERs at Concordia and Seven Oaks. Where's the evidence that that would work as opposed to, you know what, these people don't feel good about it, so I'm going to give them their ERs back. It's a healthcare decision, and it's based by talking to the ER docs and the nurses who work at those hospitals, as well as others at centers like St. B. So when we look at Seven Oaks and Concordia, under the new plan, Seven Oaks is supposed to specialize in kidneys. Dialysis patients are very sick. They often need an intensive care unit. We need an ICU at Seven Oaks. So an urgent care plus an ICU equals an ER. It's the same story at Concordia with the surgeries that they do for hip and knee. If one of those surgeries goes sideways, you want an ICU and an ER close by to help deal with the patient in crisis. So that's the justification between those two sites. But when I'm talking about St. B and HSC, what I'm hearing from those nurses and those doctors is that right now we're way over capacity. I've heard from an ER doc who's compared it to a hotel. They said, our healthcare system works best, our emergency rooms work best when they're at about 85% capacity, just like a hotel. Right now, we're over 100%. That's why St. Boniface is turning away patients a few times every week nowadays because of the closures of the other ERs. So we need to find a way to add more beds system-wide just to stabilize. We're not talking about long-term modernization of healthcare. That's another important conversation we should have. But just in order to deal with the crisis that Mr. Pallister has created in our emergency rooms, we need to add more bed spaces. Concordia and Seven Oaks, we can open up beds for about $100,000 cheaper per year than at the other hospitals. So it's about an efficient allocation of resources to help work our way out of our crisis. But at the end of the day, it's focused on the patients. How do we make it better for the patients? That's a question I think everyone's asking, because again, depending on your experience, you don't think you might not think these changes have been good. You might want to go back and you have a lot of people saying, hey, man, wasn't so great before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you, you said it all right mm-hmm. there because it wasn't great before. And I think we need to acknowledge that you may not like the changes as they've been presented. And the, maybe the biggest problem a lot of folks have is how they've been rolled out and the fact that along the way there have been missteps. So the question is, is the answer to this is to completely reverse the decisions that have been made? That's for you to decide. Canoe is saying what he will do. I don't not sure that it's in there in his answer necessarily as to why he believes that, but he, he tried to qualify it with some quite beds. succinctly uh, we get- with some statistics and with some numbers and the correlation that I think some people can understand with regards to using the, the hotel analogy. I don't know how comfortable people are uh, with comparing a hotel to a hospital, but in terms of the percentages that need to be beds that need to be empty in order for both those facilities to operate efficiently. I think that it paints a picture. We gave Brian Pallister credit yesterday at this hour, at this time when we, when he, we played his clips for the fact that he had said, sometimes there's tough decisions essentially, sure. and you have to make tough decisions. They're not going to be popular, but sometimes it's the right thing to do. I, I don't mind it. I don't, I, I, we gave him credit for that line. I also liked when Wab Canoe said in the clip we played on math about how we, you don't wait until the eve of an election to acknowledge a math crisis in this province. And I think that can also be true because it felt like there was a lot of waiting for decisions, promises to be made. And oh, an election is called. Well, here's our plan now. If you want to hear the entire conversation between Richard Cloutier and Wab Canoe, you can go to our 680 CJOB Instagram story. We have linked the podcast there. 
Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, and we're about to introduce Greg Mackling, another M. That is true. I hadn't thought of that. But before we do that, Loren McNabb, what's coming up at 8.07? Well, six months ago this week, the Adao family lost their 17-year-old son. He was home with his grandmother when he was attacked in a home invasion, a home invasion that we later learned was fueled by meth. Jamie's mom agreed to share what the last six months have been like for her family and her thoughts on meth and crime as we head towards that Tuesday election. So after eight, we'll share some of that audio with Imelda and her conversation with Global's Joe Scarpelli. Saturday will mark the 16th anniversary of the first banjo bowl between the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and Winnipeg Blue Bombers. This is one of the premier dates on Winnipeg's crowded sports calendar and one of the premier players and personalities in Winnipeg sports history joins us now to discuss whether the game lives up to the hype. First and goal, Bombers. Ty Cat one yard line. Glenn in the gun. Roberts beside him in the backfield. Kevin Glenn fakes it, and he flips it out to Stiegel. There it is. There's the record. Milt Stiegel's 138th touchdown. Step aside, George Reed and Mike Pringle. We have a new all-time touchdown maker in the Canadian Football League. And take a bow, number 85. You are in the most exclusive of companies. And what a monster ovation from the crowd here at Canad in the stadium. Cut off Bob Irving there. Two years, two neck. 147 touchdowns uh, uh, when he finally retired. We say good morning to Milt Stiegel. Good morning, Milt. Good morning. How you guys doing? We're doing great. That was one of your many incredible moments in your storied 13-year career with the Blue Bombers. Was that the only rushing touchdown of your career? No, actually, uh, and that, that wasn't considered a rushing touchdown. It, it was actually considered a receiving touchdown because uh, what was supposed to be a rushing touchdown, but what happened was I got in front of Kevin, so it was considered a receiving touchdown. So, uh, that worked out well for Kevin because he had some incentives in his contract for passing touchdowns. So we we made sure we worked that out together. <laughs> well, how about that? That that I did not know that. I thought that went down as a rush. See, we're learning stuff already. So uh, this uh, <laughs> whole idea of Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, like you broke the touchdown record in 04, the year that the Banjo Bowl started. Did, did we really need to pour any more fuel on this fire, this rivalry between the Rough Riders and the Blue Bombers? Uh, not really, uh, but Troy decided to. I don't know if he did it on purpose or not, but when he made that statement, uh, I think it was after the 2003 season, I think somewhere around there, he made that statement, and as they say, the rest is history. But, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a great atmosphere when I look back on it. Of course, when I was playing, it was all about the game, but when you look at everything that goes into it, uh, coming out of the Labor Day Classic and uh, how the fans from Saskatchewan, they come into Winnipeg, and it's a friendly friendly rivalry. Of course, the fans don't get along during the game, but a lot of these indiv- individuals are family members. They may have worked together, uh, worked together now. So it's just a great atmosphere. It goes beyond just what's going on on the football field. It's a lot going on off the football field, and it's just an enjoy, uh, enjoyful time for everyone involved. A lot of players have said to us in the past, you know, the Labor Day Classic was one of their favorite games of the year, if not their favorite game of the year. Does the Banjo Bowl now rival that, or has it grown into that event that would also rival that for fans, do you think, Milt? I, I think it's getting there. Uh, the years I've played in it, it was almost, it was building up 
Uh, the first year was 2004, and, of course, my last year plan was 2008. So I got five years to experience it. I've never, unfortunately, got a chance to experience it at the new stadium, but they say it's even crazier there. So uh, I won't say it's at quite the Labor Day Classic level, but it's building every year. You think about the Labor Day Classic has been around. It's been around for decades. I think this is just the 16th year uh, for the for the Banjo Bowl. So it's building each and every year. The fans are getting more into it. Uh, the players, even some who haven't been around long, they understand the magnitude of it. So I think as the years continue to grow, it'll eventually get at the level of the Labor Day Classic. Hey, Melt, are you impressed with the character that the Bombers showed last week playing without two of their most important players, i.e. Andrew Harris and Matt Nichols? Yes. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. It's all about wins and losses. You, you don't get a certificate for showing up. This is not Little League. These guys get paid to win games, so unfortunately they weren't able to do that. But very few people thought they had a chance in that game. And up to that last drive, I mean, they, they had the game won. Of course, like I said before, you don't get a pat on the back for losing. They have to come out and find a way to win. But uh, most folks thought they just stepping on the field, Saskatchewan was going to blow them out. And early on in that game, that's what it looked like. But uh, they have a great defense. Uh, Paul Police is very creative. He had to somewhat change up his style of play because he's dealing with a different type of quarterback. So knowing that they can play and possibly beat anyone, that gives you a lot of confidence. And that's what they're going to need going into this game on Saturday. A lot of people who, who think the Bombers are going to win this game on Saturday based on what happened in Regina last Sunday. They, they're going to win because they lost a game? That <laughs> I've never heard that. Just before. saying, Melt. A lot of people are. <laughs> hey. I don't know how that, that's, that's like saying, okay, I'm going to have a ponytail tomorrow because my all my hair is falling out. That's not how life works. I don't know who can say that, that they're going to win the game because they lost the game. There are no almost wins or almost losses. You either lose the game or you win the game. I mean, I understand people are saying, well, they didn't think they had a chance, but it doesn't matter how you lose the game. They still lost the game. So they have a chance because they have a great team and they have some great coaches. But to say they have a chance just because they almost won the game, no. That, that, that's not the philosophy that I live by. Oh, I love the fact that we brought you on and, and framed that question the way we did. Well said. Hey, we have a listener who wants to know about your hashtag paper plates. What, what on earth is paper plates? There's only two people on the earth that knows what that means, and that's, and that's me and my older son. My wife doesn't know. My mother doesn't know. My youngest son doesn't know. So uh, there's some things that need to be left uh, unknown to most folks. So my son and I, we keep that to ourselves. My wife, like I say, my wife doesn't know. So you think I'm going to tell uh, <laughs> some listener if I'm not going to tell my wife? I don't think so. But I don't think so either. <laughs> Milt Stiegel, thank <laughs> you so much for joining us this morning. Very much appreciated, sir. Okay, you guys take care. See you soon. Greg, it's one of those tragedies which uh, all of us will remember where we were when we first heard the news. Couldn't agree with you more, Brett. It's almost a year and a half since the crash of a team bust filled with a hockey team. Rural Saskatchewan changed how we think about getting large groups of our kids safely from point A to point B. Winnipegger Matthew Gamersik was uh, one of the young men, uh, one of the people on that bus, and he's one of the survivors of the tragic Humboldt Broncos bus crash April 6th, 
2018. Global News reporter Brittany Greensight, who did an incredible job covering this story almost from hour one, sat down with Matthew, and they started by talking about what Matt remembers from that horrible night. I don't really remember too much. I was just kind of sleeping. I was pretty tired, so just decided to go for a nap, and then I just kind of felt the brakes hit, and I kind of looked up, and then don't really remember too much after that. And then I came back to and just somebody took me to their car and gave me a phone to call my parents and got taken to Tisdale Hospital after that and spent a few hours there and then got taken to Saskatoon and kind of found out after after I got there what had happened. But It's going to sound stupid, but what's that like? Um, it was kind of surreal, like, like my belts were with me in Tisdale and I guess the nurses had told them not to say anything to me so like I'd be asking questions like oh like I'm sure like everybody's okay and like they just kind of they couldn't give me an answer right so then you just don't know and then it's just really shocked to the system right you're still trying to process everything that happened to yourself like your injuries and whatnot and then you hear all that and then it's just a lot to take in. What were your injuries? Um, I separated my shoulder, um, had the cut in my foot that needed about six or seven stitches and then brain bleed as well. Do you remember calling your parents? Yeah, yeah, I called my mom and then somebody else had used the phone to call their parents and then I called my, my the house phone again and then my dad answered so I talked to him for a bit and then I called my girlfriend right after that and after that I just got taken into the ambulance so I don't really remember what was said but do you remember the the days after uh, no it's all just a blur like you remember getting out and then going to the vigil and then after that it was just kind of funeral after funeral so it kind of blew by two weeks pretty quick but it's got to be hard though you're sitting there with your buddies one minute and then the coming days having to say goodbye without really saying goodbye. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was something you never really expect to have to do, especially at that age, but it's just different. Like, you know, like you're, like we were all kind of planning to play the rest of that series. And then, you know, everybody thought that we were going to be able to come back in the series and make it to the final. So you're, you're really planning to still be with those guys for another two, three weeks, right? You're not really planning on even like if we had lost, like nobody was really planning that, but you you weren't really planning on only seeing these guys for a few more days afterwards, right? So I think everybody was just kind of looking forward to spending more time together since we were such a tight group and obviously things changed a little. And how did you guys find out? Was somebody coming in and talking to you guys or was this like everybody coming together or? Um, so I was the last one to get to Saskatoon. So like I'd been in Tisdale with Shemlansky and um, nobody had told me anything there. Then I got to Saskatoon and I had seen one other guy and still nobody had really told me anything. So um, it took maybe two or three hours before things started to calm down a little. And then um, my parents had kind of told me what had happened and um, I didn't have my phone so I used somebody's phone and just kind of started looking through social media or whatever to to kind of um, to see exactly what had happened and then 
I just started walking around the hospital and then started seeing parents and family and so that's when it kind of just hit me that what exactly had happened. What do you think of what they were able to pull off? I mean after that crash you saw people from around the world sending flowers that don't know you guys that like across the country leaving hockey sticks out. Were you aware of just what was really happening in honor of all of you? Yeah like obviously the first few days like you don't really know what's going on and then you kind of start hearing rumors or whatever of stuff and then once once I kind of got to the vigil and it kind of looked around and saw you know how quickly they had set everything up and then you know getting to meet the people that or like getting introduced to the people that like have donated this or donated that and um know it the support throughout like the whole world like it was just it was incredible what was that like going to the vigil knowing that i think there was what two of you that yeah. were able to, to go um yeah like when i heard i could go it was just kind of like i knew i had to go and then once i got back into the rink it just kind of hit me like just you you don't know what to expect right like i didn't know how many people were going to be there or what was what it was going to entail of and then all of a sudden you walk into the rink and you just see everybody that you had that i'd played with when i was like 19 and it was like this is going to be big because still at the time like no like i don't think anybody really had an idea of how big it really was yet so um i think there's just a lot of emotions that had come back just going back into the rink and then obviously going through the vigil and then afterwards just spending time by myself in the rink it was it was just a weird feeling does anything from those first few days still stick out to you i know you talked about it being just kind of one big blur is there anything that you really remember or that really resonates with you in those first few i think it was just like going to the vigil and i remember we're going down i don't even know what street it is but it's like the street going to the rink and there's and there's a sign that said overflow parking for the vigil in the church and I was thinking to myself, like, how big could this really be? And then, like, we showed up to the parking lot, the rink, and, like, it was, there's nowhere to park. And that's when it kind of hit me, like, how much this had impacted so many different people. And I think that's just really what stood out to me. Where were you sitting on the bus? Uh, I was at the very back, right beside the bathroom, so. Have you had to get on a bus since? Yeah, yeah, we traveling to games this year. We we took the bus, so um, first time it was weird, and then obviously, you know, you get a little more jumpy or whatever when the brakes get touched. But for the you know, it's been safe for the most part. So was it hard though? Is that something you just kind of I guess yourself have to something you've done since you were. And early in your teens yeah like I just kind of tried to act, not act like nothing had happened but just like I'd done it before and then like the second you I stepped on and like same smell and everything and it just kind of hit me then that like it wasn't going to be as easy as I'd made it out to be in my head but I was thankful that you know Bryce was there with me so obviously that we helped each other out quite a bit throughout the year with dealing with stuff like that.
Mackling, McGarry and McNabb this weekend at Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club. They have got something special for you. Here's a preview. You guys, Atlanta, you guys must love rap right here. Like, this is a big hip-hop uh, hub. Fans of rap. Mark, you like rap? Who do you like? Who do you like? Ludacris. Ludacris, yeah, Ludacris. Who do you guys like? You like rap? Can you clap it? Usher, Usher. Usher, that's rap for you? <laughs> White people are laughing at this. White people. Look at this. Look at this. Look at these people. They all have BET. They know this is wrong. From Montreal, Sugar Sammy, who is described as one of the hottest comedians on the international circuit. The New York Times calls him a fearless comic with a talent for provoking both laughter and outrage. He has performed over 1,600 shows in 31 countries and is touring Canada once again, including right here in Winnipeg at Rumors this weekend. We say hello to Sugar Sammy. Welcome, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming to see us today. 1,700 shows, 1,600, 1,700 shows, 32 countries. Uh, when's the last time you were in Canada? Uh, last time I toured Canada was 2017 as the host of uh, the Just for Laughs tour. Uh, and before that was 2011, 2011. And since then I've been busy with, uh, my Quebec tour, uh, until 2016 and now France. So I've been touring France pretty heavily. So, uh, so I think that's one of the advantages of being Canadian, being, and, you know, learning so many languages, being from Quebec, you're able to export your humor. Well, you were talking about the fact that you speak four languages and this idea of, you did this incredible bilingual show in French and English and a lot of people must have said that's never going to work. Yeah. You can't do that. You can't do, you can't go up on stage. One of the challenges has to be is the fact that the humor doesn't always translate. You can't just write a script in English and go, well, I'll just pull out some of these parts. I'll translate into French and all will be well. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily work like that. No, I think a lot of it is also cultural adaptation. People don't realize that it's not just linguistic, it's cultural. Meaning my show in Quebec is definitely not the same show uh, that I do in France. When I go to France, it's basically a cultural roast of France. So I studied the French, I immersed myself in uh, French culture in France, and then I just wrote a show about them. It was my Canadian point of view about uh, the French, you know, and it was roasting them the whole time. I hear, I've heard people describe you as an anthropologist. Right. <laughs> I think, yeah, well, it's a little more exciting than that, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you, you love to study people. That is exciting. I do. Yeah, it is exciting, and it's fun to, to report it in a humorous way on stage, you know. But people, you know, my uh, sister-in-law is born and raised in Quebec, and mm-hmm. we always laugh at the different movies we'll watch or the things that we will laugh at, and she might find slapstick super funny, and I don't, but sarcasm is my thing, and it's not hers. And I've often wondered, I wonder if that's about A, how we're processing it as a language, or if just in some parts of the world, what is funny here just is not funny over there. That's right. So you have to almost, uh, you know, for myself, it's always been uh, not uh, making sure that I don't dilute who I am and my type of humor. And, you know, I stick to stand up. That's what I've learned. It's what I've always liked and building that bridge. So figuring out where the cultural sensibilities are everywhere else and building that bridge between you and them. And that's where I think the magic happens because that 
that's when everybody goes, wow, that's something new for us. We've never seen it described that way or we've never seen it uh, put together that way on stage. So I think that's uh, the homework that I got to do always and make sure that uh, I'm true to myself, but I'm able to uh, translate pretty well to a, a new culture. And that's I think it's it takes a lot of homework. You can't just do that. By just showing up, you yeah. have to really immerse yourself. People think it's like an off-the-cuff thing. You're just getting up on stage, but you're really studying. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of work, and it's and the magic is making it look easy, you know? It's like, you know when people say, ah, oh, that looks easy what you guys do. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure you get that in radio. What, you turn on the button, and then you speak, and then you go, why didn't you try it? And then they realize how much work goes into it, you know? And you talk about homework. Is that something you have to do for every show? Like even in Canada, what might work in Winnipeg might not necessarily fly in Edmonton, for example. Yeah, I mean, you do a little bit of that home homework. I mean, if, especially if you're going to do local material. But, you know, when you don't have the luxury of being there for weeks or months, you know, you try to go, okay, well, you know, let me stick to the general stuff and then kind of talk about a couple things that I've seen in Winnipeg and adapt locally. But a lot of times I'll do crowd work as well. And that becomes an adaptation because you adapt to every crowd when you start doing, you know, when you start improvising with the audience, my, and that's where sometimes you find that magic. My biggest fear is always I don't want to get picked on when I go to the show. <laughs> so I'm like, please don't make eye contact with me. Well, I do it in a friendly way. I was kind of like, you know, use the audience as a springboard, but you know, they they're usually pretty safe. <laughs> I'm always fascinated by the business that comedy has become. I mean, one of the most successful entertainers of all time financially is Jerry Seinfeld, and I don't know how you feel about. Jerry, he's one of my favorites, and and the fact that he's worked clean, as people will say, fascinates me uh, to this very day. Doesn't mean that he's any better because of it. It's just it's fascinating that, that that he had has this style that is really so distinctive and allows him to connect to people in a different way just by making observations. But he studies it, mm -hmm. and it is a craft. For him, oh yeah, for sure. He's so meticulous. I, I love Jerry Seinfeld as well. So I think that the homework that he does is the this basic homework that everybody's got to do. You know, and it's like almost every word and every comma is important when you're constructing material. But I also like you know uh, improvising and kind of keeping it loose to make sure that I could find magic somewhere else and keep keep it interesting for myself. Because after 400 shows, you know, you could get uh, you could kind of get bored of your own material. So you know, you, to keep it exciting for yourself, it's almost Almost like a musician, you know, going in and doing a jam session and kind of improvising and doing a guitar solo. So I could spew the statistics about that uh, that bilingual show that you did in Quebec. Just tell us how many shows you did and uh, like the revenue was was it close to seventeen million bucks? Yeah, I'm rich. Uh, so I'm <laughs> <laughs> Where's our coffee? <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, it was a pretty outstanding show and um, it was. Cool. It was cool to put that together. And it was cool. I, I produced it myself and I, it was fun to like kind of risk my, you know, everything onto that show and, and see it succeed because I believed in it so much. But yeah, I mean, a lot of it is, uh, is definitely, uh, you know, the work you do behind the scenes. People think you need to just show up and you, you're on stage for like an hour, an hour, 15 a day and that's it. Your job is done. But there's so much, you know, and my girlfriend will attest to that. I'm always thinking about, uh, writing new material 24 seven and you know what the next move is, what my next passion is going to be? How am I going to innovate for my next show? How am I going to keep it fresh for my audience and not get them too used to what I do? So you're always thinking about that. You're always thinking about how you're going to reinvent yourself. She must notice then pause in the middle of a car ride or something and be like, you're not even listening right now, right? Like oh, you're, yeah. you're thinking up of your next bit or you just <laughs> spotted something. 
Ugh, I've lost him again, right? No, she, she that's actually, where the comedy comes from. She actually sees it. She sees my smile and like me drifting off. She goes, where are you? What have you come <laughs> up with? Laughing at my own jokes yeah. is what I'm doing, yeah. <laughs> well, she's actually amazing. She's like the best comedian's girlfriend because she'll start writing things down. Okay, you're driving. What, what is it? I'll write it down so you don't forget it. It's amazing. She's like the best partner I could have, yeah. So you speak four languages, English, French, Hindi, and Punjabi, mm-hmm. and you are looking to do more? You want to learn more languages? Yeah. I mean, to me, it's it's always about learning, you know? I think uh, the second you stop being a student and you stop learning, I think everybody that's when everybody surpasses you, you know? I think you always got to keep learning and getting better and stretching, and, and that's the exciting part is when you get stronger than you were the year before, you know? That, to me, is exciting. It's, uh, it's fun to watch, like, old specials of mine and go, wow, okay, I can't <laughs> believe I put that out. I would never put that out today. I think it's a good... And when the gap between that progression becomes smaller and smaller, you know you're getting stronger and stronger as a writer. Does that get you, keep you humble when you, when you look back on those things? Do you, do you do that on a regular basis? Critique your old stuff, or, or do you try to leave it buried? In the past? I try to leave it buried. I can't watch it. I cringe all the time. It's like watching your old photos, you know, from like uh, from the uh, from twenty years ago. It, it, it feels strange, but um, but it does. It you know, I think you get reminded of that every time you try new material because it's a struggle the first few times. So you know that. You know, you're not this super, superhuman uh, comedian or performer or artist. You always have to be working and you always have to be crafting. And you're only as good as your last show. Not a, not even in this business. You're only as good as your last joke. You could be killing on stage for like five minutes and then have a two minute lull. You could lose that audience forever if you don't bring them back, you know? Well, you, there are four opportunities this weekend at Rumors Comedy Club. Actually, I'm just seeing now on their website. The Friday 7.45 p.m. show is sold out, but there's 10.30 on Friday, 7 p.m. Saturday, 9.45 p.m. Saturday. For more details, rumorscomedyclub.com. And you can also go to Sammy's website, sugarsammy.com, performing this weekend in Winnipeg at Rumors Comedy Club. Sam, what a pleasure to meet you. You're a real fascinating guy. Uh, Thanks so much. Pleasure to meet you guys as well. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.